You're listening to Brand to Brand, a not so serious marketing show for serious marketers. With your host, Thomas Sterling. Hey, everybody. Today on the show, we're talking psychological safety in the workplace. We'll take a look at brands like Pixar and The Daily Show to uncover how honest environments deliver the greatest results. All right, let's kick things off. Welcome back, everyone. It has been quite a few series of episodes where we've been just diagnosing some successes in the workplace, some challenges in the workplace. And today, I think we're really excited to talk about what psychological safety in the workplace and what that can mean to empower organizations. Are you pumped about this one? I'm super pumped. This is like one of the things I'm the most passionate about that we've talked about on the show to date. Wow. Yeah. That's bold of you to say. And I think there's a lot of fun takeaways for every business, every brand listening right now. So let's just set the stage for those of us that don't know. Psychological safety. It refers to an individual's belief that a team is safe for risk-taking in the face of being seen as ignorant, incompetent, negative, or disruptive, a.k.a. can I say this thing and not sound like an idiot? Or if I fail, what might be the outcome? Am I going to feel as though the team around me supports me, or is it going to be a finger-pointing squad? I hated the way you did that. You should say that again. I'm just kidding. I'm just seeing if we have a psychologically safe podcast Ooh, environment. Wow. I did a double take. You did. You I don't know if you passed or failed the test. <laughs> this is a very safe space. And that doesn't mean that we don't roll up our sleeves and duke it out from time to time. Definitely true. Yeah. But we fight off camera for the best possible show on camera. That's right. And You're we welcome. cut it all out for the kids. <laughs> Uh, psychological safety is something that became very popular after Google launched a study called Project Aristotle. Two years, they studied 180 of their own teams, two freaking years of paying attention to this, which means two years of investing in this as a company. So put some dollars behind that and a lot of effort. They wanted to find out how to crack the code on what made the most effective team. Before this study, Google execs believed... Just pick the best thoroughbreds. Yes. Put them out on the yeah. course and just see what happens. Get a, you just need the brightest people. That's it. <laughs> That's it. Get a PhD with a master's degree. Put them all together. Talent density. <laughs> exactly. Just pack them all on the bus. And one of my favorite quotes uh, from the uh, Google article <laughs> about this was uh, from an analytics people manager at Google who said, we were dead wrong. Mm. At the conclusion of the study... They determined that psychological safety was the number one factor that determined if a team was effective and successful. That is fucking bananas. <laughs> the, the ones that followed those in terms of factors, dependability, can you depend on your team to get something done? Structure and clarity, do people know what their mm. roles are or what the tasks are? Meaning, do they have meaning in their job? And is this going to make an impact, mm. whatever they're doing to execute their job function? Well, let's get into it. News team, assemble! Pixar, Daily Show. I am taking the Daily Show. Love the Daily Show. The old Daily Show or the new Daily Show? All of it. All of them. It's my news channel. All right, because people, <laughs> I don't know, people are talking. <laughs> Before we dive into our brands, a uh, little bit more on psychological safety. It was a term that was coined by organizational behavioral scientist Amy Edmondson of Harvard. 
There's a very popular TED Talk on the subject, which, spoiler alert, we might play a clip of in a moment. We sure will. <laughs> um, she is really the person who kind of developed this concept, which then Google went and did this study to prove how absolutely critical it is in terms of having a successful team. Thank God for Google. Thank God this for this one for case. <laughs> Some of the benefits of psychological safety. You may be asking yourself already. By the end of this, you might know why it's important, but mm -hmm. why should you give a shit? Turnover accounts for $600 billion of losses every year. That is an obscene amount of money. For companies that showcase their commitment to and empower and engineer psychologically safe environments, they have reported this in article by Accenture, 27% reduction in employee turnover. Taking that a step further, 76% more engaged employees. That is an insane percentage. People want to feel like they're connected to the work that they're doing. So yes. if you can give them an open forum where they can talk, I mean, you're going to see a much more dramatic outcome with them feeling they're a connected team because that's a functioning team unit and not some sort of dysfunctional situation where people don't feel like they can speak up. And with that, let's play a clip from the infamous TED Talk of Amy Edmondson talking about building a psychologically safe workplace. Have you ever had a question and you look around and you don't ask it? No one else seems to be asking. Maybe you're supposed to know. You think, I'll figure it out later, right? So why does this matter? It matters because every one of these moments, every time we withhold, we rob ourselves and our colleagues of small moments of learning. Um, we, we, we are so busy, unconsciously for the most part, managing impressions that we don't contribute to um, creating a better organization. Diving into The Daily Show and why I picked that brand other than absolutely adoring the show through its iterations was really sparked by an episode of Work Life that's a podcast hosted by social psychologist Adam Grant. He is the author of the book Think Again relearning or unlearning what you think you know. He did an episode with Trevor Noah, the current host of The Daily Show, on their secret to creativity. And that was the title. Trevor Noah, he had said, I think this is a quote that we have, when he took it over, he said, uh, as Trevor Noah, the guy who eventually won the gig, put it in a 2019 interview with The New York Times, only an idiot would take over The Daily Show from Jon Stewart. And luckily, I was that idiot. <laughs> he takes over the show. They lose 70,000 viewers overnight. He thinks he kills The Daily Show. So he had to create this new world for The Daily Show and figure out how the show is going to function, where historically, even how Jon Stewart talked about The Daily Show, it was about the host. It was all about the host. Everything was just... It was this ins inspirational show all centered around this figure. Trevor Noah has taken The Daily Show to the number one late night show in digital and social media and podcast downloads, which is very impressive. And a big part of how he got there was creating an environment of psychological safety where when he walked into a room, into his writer's room, it didn't stifle creativity. People didn't tighten in their seat and get all nervous because the boss man was in there. And I think we actually have a clip from the Work Life podcast that we can play with Trevor and Adam Grant actually talking about this. Uh, watching you in the room this morning, uh, I, was, I was intrigued by a few things. One, I expected a big change when you walked in and there wasn't a lot that was different, uh, which is a sign to me that you've made it incredibly psychologically safe. Right. That, like people are not afraid of you. Building psychological safety takes time and you can see it in small moments. 
There was one that caught my eye in the writer's room. I'm saying that jerky fish, it was so good. Like, even even, even in the room. It smelled yeah. great, yeah, that went well. The whole idea of burstiness is that when the group has momentum, you want it to keep going. So I wonder why Trevor interrupted it. Is that deliberate? Is that a conscious effort on your part to, to praise somebody in front of the group? Or is that just something that happens spontaneously? Oh, I, I think that's a, that's a subconscious thing. But I, I've always believed in crediting people where credit is due, especially when you're working in an environment where all of the praise is, is bound to be aimed towards myself. So why are you taking Pixar? Well, that was a tough act to follow. Quite honestly, I loved this concept of burstiness <laughs> where they're all kind of just sharing in the raw and him kind of jumping in and, and, and sharing credit where credit's due, but creating that environment. Mm -hmm. You know, that warm, that perfect meeting is really what we're talking mm -hmm. about here, right? Pixar, animation studio behind juggernaut movies like Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Up, The Incredibles, Cars, Monster Inc., Ratatouille, the list goes on. Pixar is an organization celebrated for their commitment to psychological safety. And in fact, Pixar's co-founder, Ed Catmull, credits the studio's success in part to candor. And now when he thinks about the definition of candor, he looks at it in a sense of people feeling comfortable with truth-telling. The way that they pay this forward, they have what they call the Pixar Brain Trust. The and Brain you're gonna, Trust. You're going to like this one. This is where they get together. Directors, storytellers, popcorn machine. I'm making that part up. I don't know. They probably have popcorn, right? They get together. They watch an early cut of the movie. They eat lunch. And then they dive into nothing but honest feedback about what's going on and where the issues are. So they already have a process. I got a little clip for you. Now, we usually do live up to them. That's why the films are pretty good. Every once in a while, they're just flaming disasters. Uh -huh. Every once in a while, magic happens. What, that, what I mean is there's the loss of the ego in the room. And what you see are ideas going out. It doesn't matter whether they're bad or good. Uh, nobody's clinging to them. They're just focused on the problem. I mean, I, one of the things I love about that clip is the word choice that he uses. And I think we have to be very specific with the words that we use thinking about the context of this episode. Flaming disasters. <laughs> and he described it. It wasn't like there were just everyone's. It was like, this happens frequently. Flaming disasters. And when that happens, what do we do? We get a smaller group together. Love that. Smaller group, right? Every once in a while, magic happens. So it's not like all the time we're hitting home runs. Mm. I guess I just, you know, you look at Pixar, this juggernaut brand in the space, and like I feel like for a guy in this position here to share, yeah, you know, we make some mistakes every now and then it works out. <laughs> that's a totally different viewpoint. And if that's how you enter a meeting, you're really setting an opportunity for people to really get going. And he talked about this concept where... At some point, when you get into, we could call it a flow, mm. creatives love using the term flow, and I think it makes a lot of sense, right? Every once in a while, you get to a spot, nobody's feeling committed to a certain idea. No one's taking ownership. No one's falling in love with something. We're all looking at it equally from a level playing field. And you have to wonder, some of the brands that we've talked about, especially in the first season, some of those brand fails, or mm -hmm. some of the scandals we heard about. The one that I always go back to the Kendall Jenner Pepsi 
ad. Yeah. So horrendous. You have to wonder if those are brands or companies that have created psychologically safe environments where someone on their team who was working on that, maybe they were working on one tiny piece of the campaign, was like, holy crap, this is the worst decision this company is ever making. Mm. And maybe no one had the the gumption or felt like they were safe to say to maybe the marketing director or the CMO or whoever it was, hey, this is maybe not going to land. So it ended up costing the company so much more trouble down the long run. So you have to wonder if that's something that came into into play in those situations where was, brands have just fallen on their face. Was the group too big that reviewed it? I mean, you know, at some point there's the bystander effect where you're like, well, there's a lot of people in this room. And I, I, I mean, I'm brought in at the end. Maybe they already decided that detail. Or so no one else thinks this no sucks. Am I, am I crazy if I say that it does? Or I'm new. So how could I ever say this sucks? Because it's great because I'm new and I'm afraid to say anything. Also very true. We've been there. One of the things that I think is fascinating about this co-founder is he had mentioned that when a project isn't working out at Pixar, the only reason they will make the decision to fire a director is if they have lost the ability to listen to or take the honest feedback of their teams. That is nuts. They take that concept of brain trust so seriously. And thinking about the films that have come out of this studio, what we maybe wouldn't have if that studio, if that company was not empowered to tell everyone who is working there that, hey, your voice matters. Point it out. If a character's hair looks weird, tell us. And there's so many, there's so many people probably listening to this. There are so many brands out there that could stand to pay a little closer attention to the ideas of the people on their own team who are probably eager to get them out there. Very true. And so many times, you know, we look to solve problems from the outside when really the problems can only be solved from inside. So if we had to talk about any other brands, it's difficult because with this being a newer term, there are not a lot of great pieces of content or case studies on other companies that have found their niche example of how this has worked in their workplace. Daily Show, great example. Google obviously pioneered that study, which kind of snowballed this as a discussion Microsoft is another company, a big company that talks about this. Some of those larger innovative companies, you do hear about this concept of psychological safety, but it's something I think we're going to see a lot more of. Absolutely. And I would say just to further that point, I mean, we're talking about Amy Edmondson coming out with this TED Talk in 2014, way ahead of the time. We're starting to see some energy around this. And we're even talking about two brands, and in so many ways, we're talking about in-person collaborative settings. What about the Zoom world that we find ourselves mm -hmm. in today, or the hybrid future, or the hybrid today, depending on where and what industry that we're in? What are the impacts of that? I think that over and over, and I'm surprised that there isn't more information and studies on this, and they're probably working on it right now, but what are the impacts when everybody else is on a Zoom call with their camera off or muted? And you're having that dialogue. How can you promote that social and safety net and that environment? And I guess it really just comes down to how you model the behavior. And we're going to get into that in the work. But I think it just means this is even more of a pressing issue. I'm not saying it's not possible. I'm saying that 
in many ways, it's even more important because it's a lot easier. You don't have those micro moments. You're not sitting across the table from someone saying, Veronica, why? Like, I can tell when you think I did a bad take by just your <laughs> facial expression. Yeah. And but, I use that and I say, okay, what? So I was going to say, don't you think that we've trans, we have learned from doing this podcast and being honest with each other? And oh my God. Each this other? podcast would be so bad if, if you. <laughs> Didn't suck at poker. But <laughs> I do. You're so right. <laughs> but maybe that's a benefit. I don't it's think a that's a bad thing. It's a benefit in this setting for sure. Don't you think that transitioned into our other life and what we mm, do in work? And that's true. us being able to have sometimes a conversation where I can challenge your thought on something. And maybe it's for a better idea. Maybe it just means I don't understand your viewpoint and yeah. I need to be convinced. And either way, it's welcomed because at the end of the day, there's just no time for just a boilerplate yes. Yeah, no one is looking for another yes man. And now for something completely different. So if we had to put this down to work, I think big picture. First thing I want to ask is, how are you building a culture climate that creates a safe space for open dialogue? And this breaks down in a number of different ways. First and foremost, as leaders, we need to admit our own fallibility. We need to fess up to the mistakes that we make and how we've learned from them. And we need to put it out there for our team and we need to encourage them to do the same thing because life is about learning from our mistakes. And if we admit that, if we take some credit for that, following the Pixar model, right? Get those flaming disasters out there, frame them up and share them with your team. And I think beyond that, talk about and encourage the opportunity to evaluate these problems from the learning lens, not the executional failure. Ultimately, it's about asking lots of questions, getting to the root of things, and doing so in a way that's authentic and honest and friendly. Because questioning can already put people in a little bit of a tailspin. So do that in a way that's ultimately approachable. The next thing I would say is, like, how do we keep this going? We keep it going through some form of process-driven execution, right? So that's meeting formats, that's sessions, that's creating your own form of a brain trust, how you're actually structuring the meeting, how we're asking for feedback, the size of the meeting. What happens if maybe all of a sudden we realize, you know what, this really isn't ready for this larger group. Let's kick it to a smaller group to evaluate this and bring it further. Whether we do it virtually, whether we do it in person, how that's all structured. As leaders, all along the way, we can model phrasing, word choice, tonality. A lot comes down to the delivery in creating these safe spaces. And ultimately, when it's time to promote people, make sure to evaluate people for their management skills. You want a team of leaders that are all in it together, philosophically, on the same page. And at the end of the day, we can celebrate when things go wrong. We can talk about how we were able to address it and the outcome that we achieved. I did not go to business school. You know who else didn't go to business school? LeBron James, Tracy McGrady. They went right from high school to the NBA. So, so it's not the same thing at all. So if you had to take anything away from this episode. Tell your boss or colleague if they have spinach in their teeth or their fly is down, look out for the people you work with and for. They will respect it. And if they don't, that's on them. Well, mine is that those stats don't lie. And it is a great time 
to take a look at how you are building psychological safety in your workplace. And with that, we're out, folks. Thanks so much for listening to the Brand to Brand podcast. Got an idea for an episode? Hit us up at brandtobrand.com.